He's also a deacon at First Baptist Church in town. So before mentioning any denominational difference, especially in light of what we talked about in Catechesis Hour today, just uh, mention him as uh, a brother in the Lord with whom we are one in Christ. Amen. And we're eager to hear him uh, bring the word of God to us this morning. So. Amen. It is good to be with you, church. On this Pentecost Sunday, it is the birthday of the church. Come on. Amen. And of course, we are going to be in that seminal uh, chapter of the scriptures in Acts chapter 2. I know we've already read it, but I want to read it again into your hearing. And I will welcome you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And when... You've got it. Say, I've got it. Good, good. All right, just, just let's lay some ground rules because apparently I'm going to be doing this a couple times this summer. Um, this may come as a surprise to you, but I'm black. And uh, I love being black. There are many great things about being black. And one of those things is uh, the black preaching tradition. And one of the characteristics of the black preaching tradition is something called dialogical narration. And now that's just a fancy way of saying that the work of preaching is between the passage and the pastor, between the pulpit and the pew, which essentially means that you can talk back to me, okay? So this is going to be a dialogue. The, the work and the sacred honor of preaching should be a call and response, right? So I want you all to talk, yes, I want you all to talk back to me, all right? So if you've got to say, I've got it. I've got it. All right. Stand up with me in honor of the Holy Scripture. I'm going to read verse 37, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this Pentecost Sunday, when we celebrate, when we honor, when we commemorate the birthday of the church. We thank you, Lord, for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And in your outpouring, you birthed and you empowered the church. And we ask, O oh Lord, again, that you will pour out yourself upon us this morning, that you will speak in us and through us and empower us for this work of gospel proclamation. We bless your holy name, Lord. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word, that your people may be encouraged, may be corrected, may be reproved, may be instructed unto all righteousness and equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me rush to again say thank you to Pastor Taylor and Pastor John for this sacred honor and opportunity to rise up before you and to speak the word of God to the people of God. And of course, I also want to acknowledge the prettiest woman in the whole wide world is here today. 
I know many of you have never been this close to an angel, but there is one in the room. Black's got on a better preacher when she's in the space. And so, Acts chapter 2. Now, Pastor introduced me, but I want to introduce myself again. Good morning. My name is Fumi, and I'm a recovering Pentecostal. <laughs> You see, I grew up in the charismatic church, and I saw some pretty awesome displays of the Holy Spirit's power. I remember I was once at this Holy Ghost Revival Prayer Service. That, that's really what it was, the Holy Ghost Revival Prayer Service. When I was growing up, and uh, the people, you know, they were speaking in tongues. Um, this bland man, he got healed. The lame guy walked. And then I saw a snake come out. <laughs> of this lady's mouth. Mm. Now, mind you, I was seven years old, so I could be remembering all this wrong, but the strange thing about the service wasn't necessarily a snake coming out of somebody's mouth. It was that even with these miraculous signs and wonders and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it felt strangely empty. It felt like something was missing. It, it felt like there was a mighty rushing wind and pillars of fire and shaking of the earth, but the Holy Spirit was not in it. Mm -hmm. But you would quickly object, as you would want to do. Aren't signs and wonders always signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit? Well, according to our text this morning, the Holy Spirit just doesn't show up to display awe-inspiring signs. The outpouring of the Spirit's power is for one ultimate end. Mm -hmm. And that one end, I submit to you, church, is the proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Here in Acts chapter 2, we indeed see an awesome display of the Holy Spirit's power. There is wind and, and fire. There's tongues and flame. The storm of God's presence rushes in. The fire of God's presence descends. Mm. But notice here that this awesome display of power achieves an ultimate end. The Holy Spirit does not give the disciples power. He gives them power for something, for a specific task, the proclamation of the gospel. And I love the story of Pentecost primarily because Luke has already informed us of the preacher's backstory. Peter. Here you have a disciple who just weeks before was denying Jesus and then cowering in fear in a locked up room. Peter, the original pioneer of the concealed carry weapon. <laughs> Peter, who had denied Jesus three times. Peter, who said he didn't know the man. Yeah. But when God was putting together the program for Pentecost and was looking for a preacher to stand in the slot to win 3,000 people, he picked the same joker that had denied him just a few days before. What could possibly account for such a transformation other than he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power? Now, Peter's testimony is a terrific display of the Spirit's power, but his transformation does not lead him to declare his own testimony. Rather, the Spirit empowers him to give testimony to Jesus Christ. Friends, your testimony is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. You can tell people all day long about how Jesus 
Jesus saved you and rescued you and redeemed you. But your story is not Jesus' story. Amen. You need to tell them of Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. You need to tell them about a thrice holy God, sinful man's inability to meet God's standard of holiness, God's solution to man's sin problem and the person of the God-man Jesus Christ, and man's response to accept or reject the solution. In other words, you need to actually proclaim the gospel. And this, this is exactly what Peter does in Acts chapter 2. Now first, he focuses on the story of Israel. Peter takes the scriptures starting from Joel chapter 2 verse 28 to 32 and then later on Psalm 16. And he shows how they point to Jesus as the yes to God's promises to Israel. The problem though, the problem though is that this Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and killed by them. Peter says to the hearers in the text, you killed Jesus in verse 23. Now, I know you all are astute readers of the Bible and you scratch your heads in such a remark. Were all these people present for Jesus' death? In one sense, no. Perhaps they weren't all there in Jerusalem during that first Holy Week. But many of them were, probably. So in another sense, yes. And Peter here is indicting all of them. Why? Because all people are guilty before God. Because in our guilt before God, we have all contributed the sins that put Jesus on the cross. Because of our sins, he had to lay down his life as a ransom. And the same evil that fastened his hands to a tree and nailed his feet to a cross in ancient Jerusalem still exists in this postmodern civilization. The sin problem. But thanks be to God, the murder of the Son of God, the greatest sin of mankind, is not the end of the story. Peter has outlined the problem, but then he presents the glorious solution. This Jesus, Peter testifies, whom the people have crucified was resurrected, and he's been exalted in his ascension to the right hand of God. And he has sent the promised Holy Spirit, whose work the Jewish audience now see and hear with their own very eyes and ears. This is the gospel, y'all. The Holy Spirit came down, and Peter, cowardly Peter, fearful Peter, he boldly proclaims Jesus. See now the truest display of the Holy Spirit's power as he uses Peter's simple, plain proclamation of the gospel to convict and draw the people to respond to the message they just heard. See how the Holy Spirit performs this life-giving work and cuts people to the heart. In verse 37, the Bible uses the language that they were pierced to the heart. They were cut to the quick. It's the idea of hooves of horses or rhinos pounding the earth as they run faster and the earth moves under the weight. It's like the idea of perforated paper in that little notebook we used to have in grade school. There where you could neatly tear it on its lines. 
It's the idea. It is to suggest that God has built the human heart to break at certain places. And when we get the message right, there is something about the power of the person of Jesus Christ yeah. where even the hardest hearts cannot resist his grace. When we get the gospel right in its plain simplicity, hearts will be broken. People will come back together. Marriages will be mended. Our community will be changed. But in it sad that we have departed from this simple power of this message. We, we try to dress it up. We, we try to make it more appealing, make it more relevant, make it more relatable. But as Richard Allen, the founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which was the first independent black denomination in these United States, he said, the plain and simple gospel suits best for any people. <laughs> See here how this simple message was communicated in different languages at Pentecost. And it was powerful and effectual for each culture and each language. Different cultures, different languages, but the same message, the same Savior, the same Holy Spirit. Y'all, the problem with the message isn't the message. The problem is the people communicating the message. We don't need to embellish the gospel. We don't need to dress it up and festoon it and adorn it. We need simply proclaim it. <laughs> Do y'all remember that, that guy that was signing next to President Obama uh, in 2013 when um, he was there in South Africa giving the eulogy for Nelson Mandela's funeral? This guy stunned the world. I mean, he was like Muhammad Ali. We were shocked at what he was doing, the way he was interpreting. Now, he was supposed to be interpreting what the speaker was saying for the part of hearing, right? And so that they can see the signs and catch what the speaker was saying. I mean, there were global officials there, great leaders of state. They were coming to pay their respect and tribute. And there were people who couldn't hear, who wanted to enjoy what was going on. And they depended upon the state's official translator to communicate what the speaker was saying. Now, this is terrible. I mean, you could, you could watch the, the episode on Jimmy Kimmel. And uh, <laughs> on YouTube, on the episode, they bring in an actual uh, translator, right? A professional translator to interpret what the signing guy was saying. And he was doing the same signs over and over again. He was essentially saying the same thing. It was like, I have a cigarette. Good morning. That's all for now. Again and again, I have a cigarette. Good morning. That's all for now. Again, I have a cigarette. Good morning. That's all. I mean, this is terrible, y'all. And I know some of y'all want to laugh. Go ahead, laugh, get it all out. <laughs> now watch this. Paul Breckley, the chief executive of the Action on Hearing Loss charity, said, the limited number of signs that this guy did, the amount of repetition, the lack of facial expression, and the huge gaps in translation meant that the deaf or hard of hearing people across the world were completely excluded from one of the biggest events in recent history. And he went on to say that this meant 
was moving his hands around, but there was no meaning in what his hands were being used for. Oh, man. I bring this up because that happens weekly in too many churches around the world. Oh, the message of Jesus Christ is dear and clear. It is simple and effectual. It is effectual and ready to be communicated. But many of us are moving our mouths, but we ain't saying nothing that means anything. And the heart of heart, not the heart of hearing, the heart of heart across the world are completely excluded from the biggest message in human history. Because the church is not proclaiming the simple, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, have mercy. But here, here, Peter preaches Christ, him crucified and resurrected. He preaches the gospel. He presents the solution to the people's sin problem. And now after the people have heard the simple message, this simple proclamation of the gospel, the text goes on to say, the people ask, what must we do? What must we do? What are we going to do? And Peter says in verse 38, Repent! Peter says the first thing you've got to do is turn your life from the direction you've been going in. Find yourself moving towards the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 40, listen now, if you don't do this, this generation amongst you, which you live, the times in which you live, is perverse. Some of your translation says crooked or corrupt. This generation is messed up. It thinks up is down. It thinks in is out. It calls blue, yellow, and green, orange. It's perverse. And if you don't turn from it, its perversity will characterize your life. Now, the reason some of y'all ain't talking back to me is because I'm talking about you. There was a time, and for some of us, there still is a time. Everything God called wrong, we called right. You said, well, I can do that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I don't want to hear what God has to say about that. If people love each other, as long as they ain't hurting nobody, they can do whatever they want. Listen, friends, that's called perversity. If you call what God calls wrong right, something wrong with you, not with God. Come on, sir. And Peter says, you need to have a change of mind. You need to turn about face. You need to move in the opposite direction. Repent. Now, repent is an old military term from the Old Testament. In the Hebrew Old Testament, it was the idea literally of the commander or officer walking in front of his men. And it will yell out, repent. And immediately they will turn around and start moving in the opposite direction. This is what the gospel calls you and I to do, to repent. And I wonder if there's anybody here today that you haven't repented of your sin yet. I need to tell you something. Everything I've said and everything I'm going to say is not going to mean anything to you unless you confess that you messed up and you need a savior. Because truth be told, if you could have gotten yourself together, if you could have done it all by yourself, wouldn't you be together by now? <laughs> I mean, the worst section of Barnes Noble is the self-help section. Because you can't help yourself. Yeah. You need somebody. 
sovereign, unlike you, yes. to lift you up out of the darkness into the marvelous light yes. of the glory of Jesus Christ. Turn around and repent. Amen. And then Peter goes on to say here in verse 38, be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The text says be baptized in the name of Jesus. It won't work if you're baptized in somebody else's name. Because baptism is a public, covenantal expression of a personal inward transformation. This is why we baptize in Jesus' name. The text makes a claim that the name of Jesus Christ matters. Yeah. Indeed, it is the only name that matters. It's the only name that gets you to God. So after law school, I, I had the honor and privilege to clerk at the uh, Constitutional Court of South Africa, and I clerked for the Deputy Chief Justice. And uh, one thing you need to know about the DCJ was that this guy was very wealthy, very urbane, right? He, he wore the bespoke suits, he dined at the finest restaurants, the, the dude took golfing trips to Scotland, right? And he had access to all the best of the best. And, and so what me and, and another clerk in Chambers, we always joke with, 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 with Judge and we were like, hey, can you, can you get us the hookup, right? And, 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 and you know, we want to try this high life thing too. And so there was one, one time he, you know, he had a conflict and he had reservations to this Michelin star restaurant in Joburg. And he was like, hey, you guys want to go? I was like, yeah, I bet. We want to go. That's what's up. So me and, and my friend, we went to this restaurant. And let me tell you about this restaurant. This restaurant is fancy as all get out, right? It's a seven-course meal that's curated. It's got wine pairing to each meal. I mean, they don't even have the prices on the menu. You know you're fancy when you don't know how much you got to pay for it. Right? So we walk up to this restaurant. You know, you got to dress for the nines. The man's got to have a jacket. Woman He's got a guy, have a dress and heels. We get up to this place, and, the, and I say to the maitre d', you know, the, uh, uh, oh, yeah, we, we have reservations. And he asks, well, what's the name on the reservation? And, and I start to say, Fumi OJ. And before I could finish, my friend steps in front of me and says, well, uh, that's the Han Musineke. That's the judge's name. And I look around, and I'm like, you're not DCJ. I'm not DCJ. Where is DCJ? There is no Musneki around. And I noticed something. When I said Fumi, the maitre d' was looking at him, he was shaking his head, he couldn't find the name. But when the Khan Musneki was said, he said, ah, DCJ, come, come, come right this way. And he let us in, right? Now watch this. I had what it took to enjoy this place. I had the right attire, I had the close-toed shoes, I had a, a nice jacket, I brought a healthy appetite. I was ready to eat. But the problem is that my name wasn't on the sheet to get in. Yes, sir. And although I had everything else, I needed somebody else's name who had some clout. Somebody who had some power. Somebody to get me in. And I only say this because some of y'all are trying to get into heaven on your own name. Yes, it ain't nothing about it is not your education, it is not your strength, it is not your networks. Your name will not get you in. You better have a name that is better, more.
Spirit. The text says in verse 38, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, just so you know, even though I said I'm a recovering Pentecostal, I am not a cessationist. I'm not a person who doesn't believe in the charismatic gifts. You, I mean, you can have your own conviction, and I'm not here to get into all of that, but I will tell you this, that this is not a second feeling or a second baptism. The text argues that as and when you get saved, that when you get baptized, when you repent of your sin and you give your life over to Jesus, the gift you get is the Holy Spirit. Yes! And the Holy Spirit enables you to have a new life. And the Holy Spirit gives you the capacity to share the truth about Jesus Christ. And you see here, when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, he immediately began proclaiming the gospel. All this means that we are not filled with the Spirit if we're not proclaiming the gospel regularly. Because a Spirit-filled Christian can't help but talk about Jesus. She talks about him when she wakes up and when she goes to sleep. He talks about him when he walks in and when he sits down. She talks about him when she's at home and when he's at school and at work and the grocery store and at the gym. And you're going and you're coming. You're always talking about Jesus. The Spirit indwells you and gives you power, yes. But it is the power for proclamation. He is lifting up Jesus. And the more we're filled with the Spirit, the more we will lift up Jesus too. And Jesus, this Jesus is the answer to our sin problem. Because we got nobody else, y'all. There is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. Muhammad's name ain't going to get you there. Buddha is not going to get you there. Krishna is not going to get you there. Joseph Smith is not going to get you there. They still in the grave when they die. But there is another name. I said there is another name. This Jesus that we know and love and serve, he rose from the grave without power in his hands. Death lost his victory. The grave has no sting. The tomb is empty. He is risen. Jesus Christ is risen indeed. This is why I preach. I have committed my life to this. My soul believes in this. I'm not telling you something because I'm trying to get something out of you. But I know that there is a fountain filled with blood that is drawn from Emmanuel's veins. It doesn't matter how much you sin. It doesn't matter how much cocaine you snorted or pop you smoked. It doesn't matter how much time and how many people you slept around or cheated or lied or stole. If you plunge into the flood, you'll find freedom from your guilt and stain. I'm telling you today that there is power in the name of Jesus. I wish I had one or two Holy Spirit fellow Christians in the room that can testify to the power in the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, demons tremble, strongholds crumble, chains are broken, the dead receive life at the name of Jesus. Now I know you've not experienced the power of that name before. <laughs> when you didn't have two nickels to rub together, you cried out Jesus. And the flask of oil did not run dry, nor the jar of flour empty. When your baby was sick, the doctors didn't know what to do. You cried out, Jesus! And the Lord heard you and healed him. When your marriage was falling apart and your family was about to be destroyed, you cried 
us and he restored you. Oh, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I know, I know I've been up here too long. It's summer. Y'all got things to do. Brunch to get to, pot roast to eat, and mimosas to quaff down. But there is just something about the name of Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ and him crucified is proclaimed, lost people will be found. The blind shall see. When Jesus is told for all the beauty that he is, people will lay down their vices and pick up virtue. People that are encased in sin will be wrapped in Christ's righteousness. Hapless vagabonds on earth will become hope-filled citizens of heaven. People sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death will see the light of the sun guiding their feet into the way of peace. Those who are without a people, that are without a future, that are aliens, strangers, and enemies of God, they're going to receive a divine hope. Oh! 